You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Your Queer Story. We're sitting in the studio, following up on last week. We haven't left. No. I've uh, drank an, ent- an entire large Red Bull and also a very large mug full of coffee, so um, I'm probably going to be very caffeinated for this episode. It's all <laughs> going to come out at once, and I'm going to spiral. Paul is ready to go. I'm looking forward to it. I'm on my third glass of Diet Coke. I uh, had two cups of coffee earlier today. Could use another one, but can't stop. Got to get done because... <laughs> Take the time when you have it. Go. Just, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Too much going on in the world. Um, yeah, so it took well over two years, but we finally decided to cover the IFB, Independent Fundamental Baptists. Yeah. So that's fun. I'm glad we've been waiting for the bigger things. Like, I'm glad we waited for the AIDS mm-hmm. epidemic. I'm glad we waited for this because... Um, we have evolved and you've especially evolved in your research and your mm-hmm. writing skills. So it's good that we've waited for these heavier subjects because you now have, um, what was I going to say? You, no, you've research. educated yourself, you've learned, you've trained, you've practiced, and you've really like honed the art of how to combine all of them into a well-researched and written script. Well, so I appreciate I'm that. glad we've waited and um, evolved and we've both evolved as hosts and... Yeah. We've evolved in our way we deliver things, so it's good. You know, now I feel going forward, I feel confident that we can cover any topic and really cover it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I really did like researching this because even though I knew a lot of this stuff, it really tied it all together and reaffirmed the way I feel it because when you grow up in a cult and you grow up in these kind of environments... It's not that bad. <laughs> right? Not, That's what you think. Well, yeah, you it's think not it's that not bad. that bad. This is normal. Exactly. You also get gaslit into... Th- exactly. I was what I was going to say. You get gaslit into thinking it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that extreme. I blew it out of proportion. Right. And then you go back and you redo the research on it. And you're like, no, I was right. Mm-hmm. Like, this was as bad as I thought it was. In fact, it was worse than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually... Um, I didn't grow up in that environment. I grew up in my own. But... Um, I'm starting to come to terms with, okay, I did have a pretty crazy childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have a lot of shit that went on that most, I don't want to say most people don't go through, but, um, you know, it's the same thing. Oh, that's just how my childhood, it wasn't that bad. I made it like here I am today. I'm successful. It wasn't that bad. And then through therapy and through my own, um, learning, not only about my mental illness, but also like past traumas and things. I'm like, okay, actually it was pretty bad. And I, and I've always thought I don't have any dark places to pull inspiration from because great works have always been pulled from darkness and sadness and mm-hmm. really honed. And I'm like, I don't have those places. I've never been there. And I'm like, I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always been very surprised in the past about your... <clears throat> 
I don't know your casualness about your. I think it's. I, I think it was a survival technique yeah. where I was just like, oh no, it yeah. wasn't bad. Here I am. Like everything was fine. And then when I really start to dig through and think about it, I'm like, it's kind of eye opening almost in a way. And I'm sure the same thing for you. Oh yeah, yeah. It was years before. It was years before I could say that I grew up in a cult, and it mm-hmm. was years before. I it really started to sink in how bad things were. Mm-hmm. It was it's that it's what we're both talking about the same thing of like not that big a deal. So what? Okay, maybe it's more aggressive. Maybe it was more worse in this area, but it everybody wasn't that has bad of a shit, right? Yeah, exactly. We do, we do we downplay and we minimalize what we've been through as a coping mechanism, and mm-hmm. that that serves us for a while. But eventually, if we don't address it, it hinders us from growing further. Right, exactly, and it, it, yeah. It, it makes it hard to empathize with other people too because you're like, well, it wasn't that bad for me, so you're going to be fine. And, you yeah. know, it really, it does. It, it puts a blanket over empathy where you still have it. You definitely feel bad for people, but you can't fully empathetically meet that person's needs because exactly. you haven't addressed your own problems and realized what you've been through. And also, and it justifies your abuse your continued abuse because it goes with, I mean, that's a standard in the IFB of like, well, my, my parents beat me when I was little. And so I, yeah, of course I beat my kids, you right. know, and with just like the horrible, like in the last episode, we talked about trigger warning, people being chained to drain pipes and being whipped with leather whips and being locked up for up to a month in a, um, in a solitary confinement where they're not allowed to shower. They have to urinate in the mm-hmm. room and the idea that that was okay because of whatever your childhood had been right, through, exactly. you know, like Lester Roloff would talk about how his daddy whipped him. And so that's why he whips people. And and it still plays. It still plays in the yep. IFB. My parents were violent to me. So I'm violent to my children and it's okay because I turned out okay. And the fact that I'm a grown ass adult beating a little child makes sense to me you know it's like it's that all of that and then and in even other areas like the um wanting uh gay people to die and be put to death and like again all that violence all that trauma that's not treated and you believe it's okay and it's natural it's normal right so yeah so today we are going to be talking about actually the man that had the most influence on my life he was my leader until 2001 when he died and then his son-in-law became my leader until i uh, left the ifb so um so i know a lot about this one this was the exact world that i grew up in like the ifb as a whole is like a world and i actually grew up in this church right in this particular like yeah under this ruler this is your world that you knew this was mine yep so we're going to be covering Jack Kyles, who did rule the IFB from 1969 to 2001. Which again, so. this is just my, like, there were a lot of people that were in charge. I don't want to like, just say, there's no person in charge of the IFB. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying if you were to put like, who was like the, the top of fundamentalism, I would put Jack Kyles. Some people might put like a, a John R. Rice or Lester Roloff until mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, there's some other guys, Bob Jones senior gets thrown in there, but he was much, he was later, um, but he was before Hiles. So I'm not saying like the, the it's not like the leader of the Vatican. It's not the Pope. Exactly. He's not but the Pope. He is someone who you could consider to be at the top of it. In fact, people have period. called him the Pope of the IFB. Yeah. So that's a, his level of power. So, so yeah. So like, again, this is my own list of who I see as, as led it, but I feel like I, I have some pretty substantial evidence. I of think that. you also have some pretty substantial experience. <laughs> I do have a substantial experience too. 
So, a Norris fanboy, and when we say Norris, we're referring to... J. Frank Norris from our first episode. J. Frank Norris from our first episode. Um, And good friend of Roloff, who was also covered in the first episode, was already well on his way to the IFB stardom when Roloff passed. Jack Hiles was born the same year as J. Frank stood trial for murder in 1926. Hiles' early life seemed to mirror that of Norris. Jack was born in poverty and the son of an alcoholic who beat him severely and eventually left the Hiles family altogether. Like Norris before him, Hiles found comfort in the world of the fiery Baptist preaching. After serving in the army during World War II, Hiles returned from World War II and attended East Baptist Bible College in Marshall, Texas. He then pastored a few churches in Texas, and his success drew the attention of a large congregation in Hammond, Indiana. Great old Hammond. Which, <laughs> before we get going, I don't understand when you say someone pastored a few churches. What does that mean? Oh, I'm sorry. So, um, I'm... I mean, because it's come up like five times now, and I'm, every time I'm like, I'll get, to, I'll understand it eventually. I always forget that you know nothing about church mm-hmm. world. Does that mean he uh, was like the head of a church? He was a the leader of ones? a church, so he like he he would lead a church here, and then he would lead a church there. Sometimes, and why would he leave? Why um, do you go from church to church to grow? Do you go from like you start out at a crappy church, and then you're like, I'm a good church, and I molested a few children here. Now I'm gonna pastor this church, and I'm gonna molest a few children here, and then I'm gonna get moved again. So depending, uh, <laughs> for the most part, it's kind of like a career advancement. If you okay. like, he his first church, he built it up to a couple hundred people. Then he went to another church, built it up to a couple thousand people, and so then there was this large, very well established church in Hammond, and they recruited him to come to okay. their church. So. so- It'd be like moving up the ladder career-wise. Right. So like you run this store. Okay, this is in a crappy location. Then you get to run this nicer store. And exactly. And then eventually you get promoted to being this store. Okay. And that, that but again, that's if it's ideally, there's also pastors who are constantly being kicked out of their churches. And so then they go find another church to pastor because, mm-hmm. and they just pastor one small church after another. So seeing the potential and the money of the wealthy and well-respected church, Hiles took the position at First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana in 1959, which um, if you know anything about the area today, it's, I don't want to necessarily say that Hammond itself is very poor, but the area in general, Mm. Northwest Indiana is pretty poor. So I'm assuming in the 50s and 60s around this time, the steel mills were probably pretty popular and there Mm -hmm. was, because there did used to be a lot of money in the area when the steel mills and Mm -hmm. factories and things were going before everything was outsourced. So yeah. there probably was, at this time, it was probably a really popping area. It was very wealthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people don't know. Like Gary, Indiana, in a matter of 20 years, went from being one of the wealthiest places in um, the Midwest to being one of the most poverty-ridden places yes. in the Midwest. So, and in this time, it's just a great opportunity, I'm sure, is exactly. what I was trying to say. Yeah. By well, age- for him to leave the South, which was a huge deal for Hiles, the, you knew there was a big alert to mm-hmm. it. So go ahead. By age 33, he had become somewhat popular in the South, yet the move to Hammond was the real catalyst for Jack Hiles' career. It was here that he created an empire and a worldwide worldwide name as far as the IFB goes. It was also here that he created what most experts have classified as a cult. Few have ever understood the world of fundamentalism better than Jack Hiles. And this is why I put him as probably the most pivotal person of the time. Because whether you were before Hiles or whether you were after Hiles, he is like a god in the IFB. Mm. Even people that hate everyone else, like he's a god, he's a demon. Like he is, he's either the great divider or he's the great like uniter mm-hmm. in the in the world of fundamentalism. And he really understood the fundamentalist line of thought. His ability to exploit the fears and anxieties of people who already have a deep distrust of government and systems was uncanny. 
It is no doubt that this that played a part in Hiles breaking away from the American Baptist Convention shortly after arriving and the FBC of Hammond at the FBC of Hammond. Just like Norris had despised the organized Southern Baptists for mocking his exaggerated showmanship, Hiles despised the American Baptists for the same reason. Both men hated the scrutiny and constraint that an oversight committee placed upon them, which is the process in most Christian denominations. They wanted to have complete control. In fact, it seems that most IFB leaders are men who refuse to answer to others, but expect their followers to answer solely to them. It's a cult leader. Exactly. Right. It's like, it's crazy. Like think of Roloff refusing to let anybody come in and see his homes. But if you so much as rolled your eyes at him, he'd take you in another room and whip you mercilessly. Mm -hmm. It's that idea, that level of cult cult control. I don't have to answer to anyone else, but you have to answer completely and fully to me. While the reasons were certainly complex at the center, Jack Hiles drive for authoritarianism drove him to the independent fundamental Baptist. And the, and the break served Hiles well. He too built his Sunday school to earn the coveted honor of largest Sunday school in the world by Christian Life magazine. And Time magazine ran an article on Hiles in December of 1975 titled Super Church. The notoriety was only beginning as Jack Hiles became the dark the darling of the fundamentalist world. He established two Baptist schools, a radio program, a mission, a publishing company, the Christian Womanhood Newspaper Organization, along with countless other endeavors. His most lasting impact, though, was his college, which he named after himself and his donor, Russell Anderson. Hiles Anderson College boasted an attendance of 2,700 at the height of its popularity, and its first president was Robert Billings, who is quite a fundamentalist in his own right. Billings once estimated that he had helped to start more than 400 Christian schools across the United States, which serves as further proof of long-lasting arms and interconnectedness of the IFB. After leaving his post at Hiles Anderson, Billings went to join Jerry Falwell in creating the Moral Majority and helping Reagan to win the presidency. This earned him a spot in the Education Department of Reagan's administration, as well as the president's direct tie to the fundamentalist movement. And... Because he had such fundamentalist ties when I was warning people about um, ignoring the the fundamentalists and mm-hmm. things and seeing the rise in Poland, we saw this rise here with Reagan. Yeah. And because Reagan was so influenced by these people, he let countless people die during the AIDS epidemic because he could never imagine crossing the line and saying, well, we have to help the gays. Yep, exactly. Well, and that's the thing about men like Reagan and men like evangelicals and I'm going to talk about it in in a second but so like in the in that world there's evangelicals which are the ones that usually get a lot of the notoriety because they know how to make their message slightly more palpable but their beliefs at the core are fundamentalists the you know and I'm going to read it because it, it's just good Hiles loved that he had what he believed was a direct line to the president Even though Reagan likely knew very little about Jack Hiles, having a friend such as Billing so close to the president gave Jack all the ego boost he needed. In his mind, he was the close friend of the president, and he was directly responsible for keeping America in line. And to be fair, both Reagan and Hiles had a lot of beliefs and goals in common. Like the leaders before him, Hiles preached against Catholics, communists, feminists, and evolutionists, a term he often used. He wholeheartedly supported segregation and was an open racist, though he believed that because he tried to convert back people to his teachings, 
though he believed that because he tried to convert black people to his teachings, he couldn't possibly have any prejudice. In truth, he created separate Sunday schools just for black and Latino kids and kept the classes segregated until his death in 2001. He was also a lifelong open opponent of interracial dating or marriage and blamed black folks for the discrimination they faced. Sounds pretty fucking accurate to a lot of the stuff we grew up like in indiana mm-hmm. like yeah. even though i wasn't a part of that church there but and um the school i attended wasn't segregated obviously because it was a public school yeah but a lot of the same ideology that people of color especially black people were responsible for their own problems well, if they just followed the law if they would just do this if they would just act like a good old white boy like mm-hmm. that was still very prevalent in the state of indiana when i lived there yeah and even outside of the church i saw that not from my family per se but from places i would be from uh businesses as i would go to the things that these people would say it was very much in line with that belief yep exactly yeah and and i don't even know if you realize how much Hiles' influence over that area was i don't right. even to this day i probably no. still don't grasp the concept that's what i mean that's just a saying like that like about, i'm not saying all of that was him indiana is just a racist place but a lot of that was that area was saturated with his thoughts and his beliefs right. and he and, had hands in the pockets mm-hmm. of everyone with the new era there was a new threat to the american dream and while norris had disguised his homophobia and anti-communism hiles would have no need to do the same in 1969, as Hiles received his first bit of national fame over his large Sunday school, the gay rights movement burst forward with the Stonewall Riots. The subsequent marches and open demand for LGBTQ plus equality sent a shiver down the backs of those in the fundamentalist movement. This was a new target added to sit next to the great threats of evolution and communism. Whereas many communities grow and evolve in their missions and focus, fundamentalists pride themselves in never changing the things they hate, only adding to the list. The fear-mongering discourse around the so-called gay agenda became part of Hiles' daily repertoire during his communications to his followers. Uh, While leaders like Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell led the mainstream evangelical march against the LGBTQ, Jack Hiles and his cohorts led the world of fundamentalism. In the media, Graham and Falwell spoke against queer rights, but still admonished love and sympathy for the sick homosexual. Though privately, they were just as hateful as fundamentalists. It is exactly this form of two-faced hypocrisy, often shown in the world evangelicalism, that drove many people to the brazenly open IFB. Say what you will about the fundamentalist. They will always tell you exactly what they are thinking, even if it is a stream of incoherent, hate-ridden, nonsensical thought. Yet, though, Jack Kyle's reasoning was a rabbit trail of disconnected ideas he could certainly articulate his thoughts. In his infamous sermon, Is Homosexuality Sick or Sinful?, Kyle stated, It is very plain! (laughs) (laughs) Can't yell on the podcast because it'll ruin everything, though. Yeah. It is very plain, then, that God is displeased with homosexuality. He not only tells us that it is a sin, but that under the Jewish law it was punishable by death. It is not surprising, then, to find that the same generation that demands an acceptance of homosexuality has also rejected God's teaching concerning homosexuality. According to the Bible, it is sin and not sickness. Even uh, got a picture in the thing... Whenever you, if you ever look up the script of his little pamphlet that he sent out with his sermons, he'd have him, he'd have him summarize and print it. The rest of the sermon later summarized into a pamphlet <laughs> and distributed gave parents tips on how to cure or prevent homosexuality. Hiles, and there's a link in here. You can just read it online if you want to. It's fun. 
Hiles blamed loneliness, stating, Many homosexuals like to spend hours alone in front of... Oh, I wish I could do it. I have his voice stuck in my head and I can't I it out. I feel like that voice in your head has to be so triggering. It, like, it is. Because right? you want to mimic it for the podcast, but also like you're like hearing his voice. That exactly. Uh, he's like hearing his voice, but it's also just ingrained into mm-hmm. me. He would do this coffee go... <clears throat> Many homosexuals now like to spend <clears throat> hours alone with a stereo or enjoying some other recreation that does not require the presence of anyone else. He followed that paragraph with his tremendous ability to weave and control and early brainwashing, telling parents they should immediately put their newborns in the nursery upon their first church service. The mother is off on the wrong foot when she brings her little boy to church, keeps him in her arms, and refuses to put him in the nursery with the other babies. Hiles raged, adding, he should become accustomed to being away from his mother and father. So he really also didn't like introverts. No, he didn't like introverts. He believed that they were like homosexuals. He also, but like, there was also, there was this thing where like, he wanted the, the parents to have control, but he constantly worked to put himself as a wedge between the child and the parent because he needed to, when the child was old enough, break that bond and pull the child to him. Mm-hmm. So that if the parents left, if the parents questioned him, he had control over the children because he understood he had to have that younger generation to keep his dream right, alive. to keep it going because once that next generation goes, if they're not under his control, Control, they're gonna be like, "What the fuck did my parents bring me into?" And get the fuck out. Yeah. Point blank. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The reality is, Hiles knew that indoctrination from an early age was important, and that was why he placed such a large emphasis on Sunday school. Not only could the children have their minds molded by Hiles' trained teachers, who read off plans he created himself and taught the Sunday school teachers before Sunday morning. He literally, sorry, he would just do this. He would on Wednesday nights. He would have to come to church early. He would read. He would give you a plan. This is what you're going to teach in Sunday school. He would then teach the plan. And then you took that plan, how he taught it, and took it back and taught it at Sunday school. Well, that's an easy-ass job. You don't have to think for yourself at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course. You're not supposed to. (laughs) You're not supposed to. But he couldn't talk to everybody because there would be thousands of people across the church property. And the the church auditorium wasn't big enough to accommodate all of them. So he'd have to teach it to people that he trusted to then teach it to others. But this also served to keep the adults' attention on Jack during the sermons and not distracted away from him by their children. Hiles was also a firm believer that a new mother should return to church within weeks, if not days after birth. And it was not uncommon for FBC Hammond to have babies as young as two weeks old in the nursery, which eventually called for a dedicated newborn and infant's nursery. And just as Hiles indoctrinated and molded his people, he urged his followers to mold their children straight. Yeah, so I mean, and so like, again, all of that. So what I was saying about the Sunday schools is that, so you weren't allowed to have children, um, I think I put it in here, under the age of five in the services. But that was that was partly like you were going to indoctrinate them in something that they can understand, but also the parents aren't being direct, uh, distracted mm-hmm. by their kids and I can have their full attention, right. important and brilliant. Mm-hmm. Hiles placed the burden of queer kids directly on the parents, teaching for any and every reason a child could become gay. Or directly on the parents, reaching for any and every reason a child could become gay. After one mother mentioned she had bought a pool table for her son, Hiles told the audience, Now I'm not speaking against pool tables. I don't play pool, and for that matter, neither does my son. I did advise her to get some games that could not be played alone. For example, ping pong is better than pool as it is impossible to be played alone. It is sad nowadays that our boys are growing up nowadays without ever playing ball in a vacant lot or enjoying other privileges that other generations have had to help them avoid feminine tendencies. As if not... It's this weird 
thing, almost like a buddy system. Like, don't ever leave anybody alone. Make sure everybody's always with somebody so that everybody can watch everybody. Uh-huh. And it's if you haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale, but they they do this because yeah. they send the handmaids out to get groceries, but the handmaids always have to have a friend that goes with them, and that friend watches them, and the, and they watch each other, and then if one of them acts out of line they will report it exactly that's exactly true we always need to know what you're doing and we're going to pass it off as we're just trying to save you from being queer because if you're off by yourself but the reality is if you're off by yourself and maybe away from his teaching for five fucking seconds you might realize i'm in a cult so i've got to make sure i keep you constantly active that's why you work people until they're exhausted Mm -hmm. constantly give them something don't give them any free time to think thinking is the devil always around other people always with a fellow brethren to keep them encouraged in the mm-hmm. in the word of God, um, there's also the uh, I don't know where I, I went to. Oh, oh, I was just thinking because he taught he he blamed the parents. If your child is gay, it's because of you. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that my mom to this day still struggles with because she constantly believe looks for what she did to make, to make you the me way you are. exactly constantly looks for it. And that in you know, anyways. Though transgender and non-binary issues were not prominent in most of the media of the day, Hiles transphobia and binary thinking shown through regularly. Like countless before and after him, Jack conflated sexual orientation with gender identity. He told his congregation this story in an attempt to terrify them. I am thinking of man, of a man in our church who is one of the most masculine men I know. But when his boy was very small, his son began to, to develop feminine tendencies. I saw these tendencies developing. The father who was masculine was busy. Though he was every bit a man, he didn't spend enough time with his boy. The boy began to walk like a girl and talk like a girl, and frankly, I am frightened when I think of his future. Which, what does that even mean, walk and talk like a girl? I don't, like, <laughs> I don't. did he have, like, a little sway yeah. in his hips? And if if he has a little sugar in the tank, he's going to have a little sway in the hips. That's all I got to say. Exactly. Also, the constant, like, consistently in that one paragraph reaffirming how masculine right. the father was. Which is very strange. I'm assuming if he knows how masculine the father was, he was the father's bitch. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. If he is the, He's the most manly man I've he's ever known. He's real strong. A top, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right. Hiles have been railing I against bet he had railing. railing. <laughs> <laughs> Choice of words. Hiles <laughs> have been preaching against the bending of gender norms since early 1969, when he had preached and then printed his sermon. Jesus had short hair. In the message, he stated. It is very interesting that as the trend towards long hair on men increases, the acceptance of homosexuality increases. This is not to say that homosexuality and long hair always go together, but it is to note the fact that both were on the rise in our generation. Four years later, in his title, in a sermon titled simply Unisex, Hiles dramatically declared, One of the greatest sins of the end times is the fact that unisex movement is sweeping this country. It is hard to know if Hiles blamed this movement more on the feminists, the communists, or the LGBTQ, as he interchanged between the three sets frequently during his rant. It seems almost as though he is uh, referring to a greater. Um, there's a hair here that is really annoying me. A greater increase in uh, a greater decline in ma- uh, toxic masculinity. Oh yeah, and I think that in his mind, I mean, this time was still very horribly toxic and it still is toxic Mm -hmm. masculinity but i mean he sees something uh, that isn't toxic masculinity and he's like that's the devil that's going to end the world right there 
Well, and again, in the sphere of this, it's such an extreme homophobia and fear it's of LGBTQ. It's because he's been with this masculine man. Yes, exactly. I'm telling you, that's what I'm, <laughs> I already know it deep in my heart. He but was, he was secretly gay. He was, I don't think he was. He, I really don't. I, he was just, definitely I love taking some D <laughs> from the masculine people. And it was just God's work. <laughs> just Any cult leader has crazy sex things. And I am telling you right now that this crazy cult leader had crazy yeah. sex things. He's telling them, he's like, and, and so I bent him over there and I fucked him right there. And I said, do you like, oh, you like that? And, and he didn't like it. And then, you know, now he's straight. <laughs> I, I had know. to make sure I had to convert him. <laughs> No, um, what was I gonna say? Uh, my co- my point is, oh, it's the homophobia though that reeks through all of it. Because mm-hmm. I mean, again, why are you afraid of communists? Because you believe communists are queers. Why are you afraid of feminists? Because feminists uh, defy toxic masculinity, and if we can't be toxically masculine, then we might, you know, like boys. You might as well be gay. Might as well be boys. Yeah, might as well be gay. So it's it's all rooted in homophobia mm-hmm. when you trace it back. I mean, honestly, everything in America you can trace back to racism or homophobia or both. Every little bit goes back to one of those two issues. Mm-hmm. Throughout the message, he laid out what we what he called the devil strategy in utilizing the unisex movement. Point one: the devil is using clothes to break down the barrier between the sexes, and he hasn't. And he wasn't simply talking about clothes designed for men and women. Hayes believed that pants on women was a sin. He told this. He told his deacons. It's time for some of you deacons' wives to look like ladies instead of men. It's time for some of you deacons to yank them up and say, put a skirt on and take those britches off. Which, isn't there something in the Bible about fabric and sin, like you can't have multiple fabrics? He's trying to tie that in or something? Um, there, there's uh, that a woman should not wear that which pertaineth to a man. And- yeah, but there's also something like you can't have like three or four different fabrics mixed. They're, they're, oh, you, you're making, talking about oh yeah. There's a the, people use that a lot though because um, when they're they're combating like it's in the same book that says that you know a man should not lie with mm-hmm. a man and it also says you, you shouldn't eat shellfish and yeah that's what like it's exactly all this stuff. it's all these 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 dumb rules mm-hmm. yeah yeah. He continued his raging a few paragraphs later, ironically supporting the exact points against the gender construct. Did you know that you can buy pantyhose for men in shopping centers in the... Sorry, sometimes I crack them up. All right. <coughs> Did you know you can buy pantyhose for men in shopping centers in the city of Hammond? I'm sorry. For males. I'm sorry. For its. Hold it. Tell me a scripture that says it's wrong for a man to wear pantyhose. How many of you think it's wrong? I do. Tell me why. It's wrong then because pantyhose are ladies' clothing. Is that right? <laughs> then the same philosophy will change your pants to skirts. If it's all right for a woman to wear bridges, then it's all right for a man to wear pantyhose because it's woman's clothing and a man's not supposed to wear a woman's clothing. I say again, if you teenage girls and ladies can wear your slacks, then it's okay for men to wear pantyhose. It's the same philosophy. It's the same logic. You cannot logical and refute that statement. He added later, I'll just say it again. It's time some of the Christians start dressing like fundamentalists. I don't know what's wrong with this statement. <laughs> We're like, first of all, I have never seen pantyhose marketed to men. And I'm in like, fucking Hammond, yeah. Indiana, in the 1970s. Shut up, right. Jack. They're going in. You know how um, for women pantyhose they have like the rack and there's all the little different boxes. <laughs> just imagining like seeing a man section where there's just like leg hair sticking through all of them. <laughs> Which I would would be great, but it they're not going to do it. Yeah. No, but what I'm saying is like 
nobody saw this. He just completely made this up. And then the fact that he's completely trying to say, like, well, if a man can wear that, if a woman wears that, then men are going to do this, and then that's going to be the downward spiral of our country. That's it's going to be ruins America. I just love that he's like, he's like, well, if you can wear pants, then men can wear pantyhose. And people are like, yeah, that's that's basically what we're saying. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. <laughs> I don't know. Just take that clip out and start using right? it to convince people. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That would be a great clip to take out. The great right? teachings. Just do that. Uh, yeah. Jack, Jack Hiles supported abolishing the binary. There you go. Throughout his entire life, Hiles would have preached the same message, never wavering. He pushed his congregation to actively hate queer people and vote against their human rights. More disturbingly, Hiles sent queer teens and his cult away to the roll-off homes and later to other troubled teen homes such as Agape, Hep- Hepzibah. Hepzibah House, Bethel, New Beginnings, and homes run by Straight Inc., Great name. Yeah. Hiles' close friends with Roloff certainly influenced his belief that violence would remedy the homosexual problem. Upon Lester's death, Hiles bought the wrecked plane and created a shrine to Roloff at Hiles Anderson. More than 17 years after Jack Hiles' death. Hang on one second before I get to that. Um, so, so when I left, let me finish the sentence. Because, well, it goes <laughs> to another thought and I should have separated it. It goes to another thought, and I should have separated it. So, if you remember from our last last episode, Lester Roloff stole, started all the homes for teens. Yes, and he flew his plane and crashed it because he got smitten crashed. by God. This true tr- true story because I was in this plane several times in my life. You were in the plane? Oh, yeah, the, the because, shrine. Yeah, yeah, because Hiles took the wrecked plane and he made this little shrine to Lester Roloff, mm-hmm. and then it stayed uh, like over by our bus barn forever. And there was like a little plaque, and you could sit into it. So when I was a kid, I grew up like playing in this wrecked plane and hearing about how poor Lester died and God took him too soon. And then when Hiles died, they made what was called Hiles Park, and in that park they moved the plane. So this was the only point in all of Hiles Anderson where you could actually, there were no cameras and no one could see where you would go. So that's where all the kids would go to get their like hand jobs because that was the only place that you could go. The plane? It, yeah, the plane. The plane where people died? <laughs> Lesser Roloff's plane <laughs> was just like one blowjob after another. Just like jizz all over that place. If you put a black light in it, it would just been like one white oh glob. It God. was great. Anyways. So more than 17 years after Jack Hiles' death, his son David Hiles was still encouraging some of some kind of cure for homosexuality, though not as aggressive. I love this. The younger Hiles wrote in 2018 about the evils of sexual attraction and unnatural lifestyle. In a bizarre blog post, which I have linked for you, he stated, If I may be so frank, I'm attracted to horses. However, I have never had a sexual attraction to a horse. Yet there are some who have. Why? Because their minds become deviant. He was getting fucked by horses. <laughs> He's so absolutely <laughs> had sex with a horse. <laughs> Be- <laughs> they have allowed their minds to be filled with lustful, wicked thoughts. Sexual attraction is a programmed by what we put into our minds or allow us to be put into our minds. We must first give our body as a living sacrifice. Then we refuse to be conformed to the sexual activities of the world. And finally, transformation or metamorphosis takes place in our minds. What once was a deviant sexual attraction becomes merely an attraction. No longer is the sexual a part of it. Therefore, a man who has same-sex attractions can be attracted it to men without sexuality 
without sexuality being involved. This is how someone comes out of an unnatural lifestyle and is able to live a life that is pure. They must understand the importance of committing their bodies to the Lord. So he wrote this after he had sex with a horse and felt guilty. <laughs> That's literally what I'm taking away. Like, I don't know what the fuck mind trip he was on when he wrote that. It's like, what? I don't even know what you're saying. It's just like his dad with the pantyhose where you're like, wait, what the fuck are we talking about anymore? Because I don't know. Yeah, it was where very... Where the horses come from? It was a very bizarre and very strange... Like you said, like I don't know where his mind was at when he wrote that because David, it's very... I don't know. I would never write about being attracted to a horse. I'm just going to throw I that would, out there. What is the... It's, it, I mean, first of all, there's like this obscene thing of where like, you know, they put anybody who's not in a heteronormative yeah, relationship gonna, on be such extreme... animals. Exactly. It's such extreme certain like um, explanations. But David Hiles, we'll talk a little bit more about him. He's a special person anyways. Mm-hmm. What is particularly disturbing about the Hiles attacks on the deviancy of the queer community was their actual deeds of sexual misconduct. Assault, rape, and abuse of their church members and funds. In 1989, a fundamentalist newspaper known as the Biblical Evangelist broke a story known as the the saddest story we have ever published. Um, Eventually, what was meant as as a one-time article turned into a 150-page expose on the cult of Jack Hiles and the First Baptist Church in Hammond. In it, journalist Robert Sumner detailed a nearly 20-year-long affair between Jack Hiles and his secretary, along with Hiles forcing the husband of the secretary to live in the basement before Jack eventually used church funds to build his lover a home one street behind Hiles' own. In addition to this bombshell were several others, including multiple allegations of embezzlement and misappropriation of funds, threats and violence against former church members who tried to expose the truth about Hiles, large payoffs made in the form of new vehicles and down payments on homes for those who helped Hiles cover his tracks, and the letters of Hiles' young goons who threatened to attack Sumner for exposing Jack's cult. Today, one of those goons, Eddie Lapina, is the right-hand man at FBC Hammond. Yeah, it's uh, it was, I mean, for someone who's not involved in the fundamentalist world, it would just be like, I don't know if I'm reading a fantasy novel or what, but I didn't read that letter, obviously, until, I mean, years yeah, after. Yeah, I'm sure years that came out, out when you are in the church, you were like, what kind of well, I was, horrible... That you came out the out. year after I was born. Oh. It oh, came out in yeah. 1989, which is what it really blows my mind, because the, in 1989, they started saying, hey, we have... And I mean, when I say this guy with detail, I mean like... All of his, what we call receipts, were laid out. Mm -hmm. He named names. He just laid it like, I have this here and I have this bank statement. And this is before you can just like link things to websites. Like he prints it all out, shows copies of letters written to him, everything. And I mean, it is like, it's like in my mind, like you can't, like the majority of stuff you couldn't refute. It was all right there. But of course, Jack Kyle's response, he prints Jack Kyle's response. Then he prints his response to Jack Kyle's and it just goes back and forth. But the thing about it, so this was a bombshell. And of course, this is where you know that it is a cult because in the average place, when a bombshell like that hits, most people at the very least make their pastor step down, right? They're like, right. hey, we no- noticed that for 20 years you've been having an affair with your secretary. You built a house behind your own. Her husband's coming forward talking about how, he- I mean, the husband's coming forward and admitting he made me live in my basement, wouldn't let me do anything, made me a cuckold, you know, mm-hmm. and his children are coming forward saying all of this is true. 
and um, and nothing happens. They In come fact, right up. Yeah, well, Jack Kyles tells forbids his people to read the mm-hmm. the report, and then everybody at the time wears these little pins that say one hundred percent Hiles, which means that they support Hiles one hundred percent, and you know, just like buries the whole thing. Wow. But Jack Hiles wasn't the only one with sins to cover up. Multiple lawsuits were presented against the church over the years as one account of sexual abuse after another was brought forward. One of the most notorious cases was that of. Deacon A.V. Ballinger, who was accused of molesting a seven-year-old girl. During the trial, three women testified that the deacon had assaulted them as well when they were younger. Hiles staunchly defended Ballinger and even threw a fundraiser and later a party for the deacon. You can watch a clip of it on YouTube. In the end, Ballinger was sentenced to five years in prison. A study conducted around this time linked sexual assault cases to five different fundamentalist churches back to Hiles. A Northwest Indiana Times article reported... Allegations of child molesting, abuse, and sex and sex scandals in several churches across the nation appear to be part of a pattern of such scandals among churches affiliated with the First Baptist Church of Hammond. And when people are constantly like, how could the United States elect a man who went mm. on tape and talked about grabbing a woman by her pussy and um, how the, uh, they'll let you do it because you're famous and... Just all of the links to Jeffrey Epstein and everything. And and then you get Joe Biden, too. How could the United States elect people like this? And it's because this is what they grow up in. Yeah. It's this underground network that if you're part of, you know of. And if you don't, Mm -hmm. if you're not part of it, you have no idea it exists. Exactly. You might have some understanding that, oh, there's those crazy church people. But you don't understand the breadth and the the groundwork that there actually is behind it. And we excuse it and we, or we say that doesn't apply to me or we don't do our own research. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like all these people, like people were standing outside for decades screaming about the abuse happening in first Baptist church of Hammond and everyone else was just like, like it was all there. You could read it. Like Mm -hmm. my parents could have read any of this, but they chose not to read it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people that just say, Oh, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't want to get involved. And then 10 years later, when something happens that you are involved in, you don't believe it because you never did the research. If you had been educating yourself along the way, you would be much more apt to believe allegations coming forward, but you haven't been educating yourself. So now once again, you can deny what is presented before you. Exactly. Even long after Hiles had left, his his habit of covering up abuse and scandal continued to play a part in the way the IFB operated. In December of 2018, journalist Sarah Smith, then a part of the Star-Telegram in Texas, broke the story of over 800 cases of sexual assault covered up by leaders in the IFB movement. The majority of the victims came from churches with ties to Jack Hiles and the First Baptist Church of Hammond, and one survivor who shared her story had been among the many victims of Hiles' own son, David Hiles. The IFB leader moved his son down to Texas and a- to Texas after David assaulted several teenage girls and raped the daughter of the president of Hiles Anders College. Jack was very aware of his son's abuse and destroyed letters and other evidence that would have allowed David Hiles to be arrested. It would be 40 years before a survivor of David's abuse would be able to press charges. So in that, uh, that um, case was just uh, presented this year. So it's it's still wow. pending, but um, mm-hmm. the charges were formally presented this year, 40 years wow. later. After his removal from Hammond, David Hiles would then go on to have multiple affairs with several women in new, in new churches, along with more allegations of sexual abuse levied against him regarding relationships with teenage girls. His first wife, Paula, left him and gave an interview that corroborated the story told in the biblical evangelist. 
Um, I didn't put this in here, but one of the times that he got caught was because he had a bunch of naked pictures of him and I, at least one girl, it might've been multiple girls. And then he knew that like the deacons of the church were f- figuring out. So he puts them all in a briefcase and he throws it away in a dumpster. While the janitor's cleaning it out, he sees a brand new du- uh, briefcase in the dumpster. And he's like, oh, this is great. Takes it home, opens it up and sees all the naked pictures of David and the women that he was with. Wow. Just like... I mean, the thing about David Hiles, David Hiles was grew, born into what is considered IFB royalty. And as such, he never, whereas his father was much more clever, David Hiles spent his entire life with his dad covering up his tracks. Right, he didn't have to worry about anything. He could just do whatever the fuck he wanted and it didn't matter because he was this powerful son, right? And, yeah. he, and daddy's going to take care of it. Literally, and that's exactly what Jack Hiles did. Mm-hmm. Again and again and again. I mean, in the story of the girl who was raped... Um, she was a daughter of the the president of Hiles Anderson mm-hmm. College, and they did they wouldn't believe her. She kept saying David um, raped me every time I'm with him. He tries to molest me, and so she set up a fake. She set up like a sting operation where she arranged to meet David at a hotel, had her dad there, and then when David showed up, she's like, "Yep, see, I'm telling you, this man has been harassing me." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and but even with that, when the president of the college went to his like one of Hiles' closest friends goes to him and says, your son has done this to my daughter. Hiles is like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. Pays off the the dad, basically, and sends David to another church where he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. For several years, Dave Hiles faded from the IFB spotlight as it became apparent that Jack could do little to reform the image of his son. This was made doubly hard when stories revealed that two of David's children had died under mysterious circumstances at separate, at separate times. One died in infancy, the other was backed over by a car. Rumors swirled that signs of abuse had been evident in both children, but authorities never gained the evidence needed to formally charge David Hiles. Despite his sordid past, the apple surely doesn't fall far from the tree. In recent years, the son of Jack Hiles was, has, made a striking, has made a striking comeback in the world of fundamentalism. A few years ago, he launched what he calls a restoration ministry, which allows abusers to pay him to put them through a program, label them restored, and connect them to fundamentalist leaders who restore the predators to a position of power within the IFB. That's also where he um, rehabilitates gay people as well. Mm. You want to deal with that? Um, as for Jack Hiles, while he certainly lost some of his power among the independent fundamental Baptists, uh, he's still reigned strong with his own empire until his death in 2001. He was succeeded by his son-in-law, Jack Schopp, who went to prison... Jack Scop. Jack Scop, who went to prison 11 years later for sexually abusing a 16-year-old girl. The story of Hiles' abuse was covered by the WJBK news station in Detroit, Michigan in 1993. In a six-part series titled Praying from the Pulpit, um, the news anchors detailed the cult that FBC Hammond had become. Over the years, several journalists have also written about the Hiles and later Scop. And two, it's, it's Shop. He just told you it was Scop just to be an asshole. Maybe. Uh, he was like, Every, I know everybody's going to pronounce it Shop, but I'm going to tell him it's Scop so that way I can be an asshole. In 2012, Jack Hiles' own daughter, Linda Hiles Murphy, gave a TEDx talk about her father's cult. Blogger James Perrin, the founder of the LGBT publication Esteem was friends with the Hiles children when he was younger. He later wrote about the hypocrisy of the Hiles clan's hatred and expectations of queer people while justifying their own sexual desires. In an article for Medium, Perrin wrote about fundamentalist double standard. 
Gay men are supposed to be able to resist temptation, and if they don't, it's their fault. They are the ones condemned. Only straight men get to blame the objects of their desires when they refuse to control themselves. Yeah, I mean, because it's the thing. It's like, you know, if you're LGBTQ and you grow up in the world of fundamentalism, you have to just deny, deny, deny. There even people are to the point now, some of them who will say, look, I understand. I think you're born gay and God wants you to fight this temptation. It's just like any other sin, blah, blah, blah. But then if they molest a girl, it's the girl's fault for for taunting them or for um, encouraging them for being, she was what her skirt was just a little too high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I didn't add it in here, but Perrin even said, you know, it's like if you're a gay man and you're in a locker room and somebody walks next to you and is naked, if you were to attack, um, attack that man, no one would say it was the other man's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, you're expected to be around gay, like naked men all the time, especially in the male environment, and just control yourself. But a woman sits with her skirt slightly too short or she has a, a pants that are too tight or her dresses slightly low and suddenly that gives you permission uh, to assault her exactly and, and we'll cover it up for you and yes we'll cover it up we'll justify we'll restore you blah 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 mm-hmm. and it'll be fine and so just again that uh, that extreme hypocrisy and i didn't put it in here but you know well i did put it in here he died in 2001 and then it was his son jack scop that i sat under uh, until 2011 and then it was the following year that scop was arrested for um for abusing the girl mm-hmm so, your recommended resource for this part is the six-part series Praying for the Pulpit, which is available on YouTube, or Sarah Smith's Star Telegram piece about the hundreds of sexual abuses cases in the IFB, and I also linked all of that, of course, in the script you can find on yourqueerstory.com. Yep. Um, so, yeah, pretty well, eye-opening. Pretty eye-opening. Next week, we are going to come, we're going to wrap up the series with the two men who are most prominent in today's day, Fred Phelps from Westboro Baptist Church and Stephen Anderson from Faithful Word Baptist Church. So. Rest in misery, Fred Phelps. <laughs> exactly. Don't forget about the pink, pink mass who turned into your ancestors gay. The pink mass that turned your ancestors Yeah, the satanic temple did a pink mass that turned Fred oh, yeah. Phelps' ancestors gay. They, uh, yeah. The leader dropped his nuts on the, the grandma's tomb. He's <laughs> like, your grandma's gay now. Oh, God. <laughs> Fred Phelps, he's such a hated man. And he really didn't even have that much power in the IFB. He was very, he did not have much power at all. He was just very loud. Yes, and the loud people always get the most attention. They do. So, anyways, but we'll be back next week and we will wrap it up. So... Stay queer. Don't go lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. Oh, succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors and the IFB, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy revival. Or don't, and Black Lives Matter. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.